the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. I'm glad to be here. God, I believe, has a word for us. Um, And I humbly submit that it's something that I've personally walked through. And so this morning, I want to take some time to go, okay, I want to share a little bit about myself. And possibly through that, you'll glean something that would be applicable to where you are right now. Because anytime we sit down to take in God's word and that possibility uh, of, of taking in something new, uh, we, we have just that, an opportunity to decide whether it's gonna have its way with us or not. And so church isn't just a box we check, it's something that we, we gather to do, but we want God's presence here, and my hope is that uh, what God has given me today for us would be significant and would speak to your heart. Um, now, it's highly possible because uh, the fact of the matter is my role here at the church is a little bit behind the scenes, and every once in a while you'll see me maybe playing percussion. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I actually sang for the first time in my entire life. That was terrifying. Um, but every once in a while, I, I am in a more platformed arena, but a lot of what I do is behind the scenes, so it's very possible, given COVID and, and the season that we had uh, in the last couple of years, you may be here at the church and you're like, I don't even know who this dude is. And so I want to just take a moment to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and uh, I've been serving here at the sanctuary for just over 21 years as the executive pastor. And when I arrived in September of 2000, my wife and I were just 27 years old. And you'll see a picture up on the screen there. In fact, this picture is myself with a lot more hair, right? Uh, just a little, little spoiler alert here. Uh, I'm, you're going to see different iterations of my hair over the course of the morning here, different pictures I show you. So just get ready. This is the end product right here. But uh, I had a lot more hair. My bride, Dawn, uh, of whom you just saw on the screen uh, during the announcement section. And then the, the little baby in my arms is our eldest daughter, Chloe, who was nine months at the time. Down at the bottom here is Pastor Marty praying over us as we started here at the church. And you can see it kind of fuzzy in the background there. That was a campus rendition of our original campus renovation that we did in 2000. Prior to what you see here, we were standing right there on the ground where this picture was taken. So a lot of years have passed by. And if you do the math, 21 years later, I am now 48 years old, and our family now includes two additional daughters, Eliana and Willow, who are in the picture. So Age 22, Chloe, who was nine months in that first picture, Eliana, who is now 18, and then Willow, who is eight years old. So I have three amazing daughters. I'm a girl dad. Uh, I love to talk, so I've been blessed by uh, females who love to talk too, so it's a, it's a good thing. And uh, these many years, I would say congregation have been a, a real adventure, and I can truly say that I love, I love, I love being in ministry, and I love what God has called me to be and what he's called me to do. But, and it's a big but, I can also say it hasn't been easy, particularly the last two years. I would actually say without hesitancy that the last two years have been the absolute most difficult season of my ministry life. Has anyone else had a tough road? I don't know, the last couple of years have been a, a, kind of a bizarre journey here, but particularly for me, uh, it's included some, some tough things. And I want to share with you a little bit of what has been included in that span of time. 
environmentally, and what I mean by environmentally, I mean in the community and society at large, but also contextually as it relates to my specific world and my own circle of influence, relationally, vocationally, and ministerially. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a lot of reading here, so forgive as I look down a lot, because I want to kind of give you a list of what I've experienced these last several years. Well, first, a little over two years ago, I watched our community reel from massive fires, and then just a couple weeks later, deal with the tragedy of the Saugus High School shooting. Also, a couple weeks later, after that, we walked our youth ministry here at the church through a very difficult season of losing their pastor to a moral failing. That was really, really tough. We had to walk those young people, our teens, through that difficult season of what that looked like. And then over a two-year span, we operated, for those of you uh, who can remember this, we're present, we operated in a temporary setup for church across the parking lot with all our services being in Building B with an overflow tent and kids and youth in our kids' wing down this hallway here in this building, all the while going, undergoing and managing our extensive campus renovation with all its complexities and decisions. We also responded to COVID and the accompanying limitations, pivoting to launch online streaming converting Building B into a studio, hiring temporary expanded video staff to define and refine our video capabilities, launching three platforms for streaming, implementing safety protocols for our campus and off-site ministry, launching in-person services in Building B at, at a certain point when we could finally do so, and in our courtyard, outfitting our tent with AV capabilities, launching Zoom functionality across all our main ministries as many in-person contexts were no longer feasible, adjusting protocols seemingly every other week, that drove me crazy. Modifying websites, recording videos explaining our convictions and stance. Buying supplies like hand sanitizer in bulk. Disinfectant fog units and more. I could go on and on and on. Having to deal with COVID. We saw a few staff transitions impacting very significant areas of our church function in life, which meant saying goodbye to very dear friends and colleagues and then also saying hello to some amazing new ones. We also inhabited our new and improved facilities where we are right now. This is an amazing facility. And we reopened in-person context along with expanded live streaming, which included expanded video production capabilities, utilizing new technologies and tools while re-engaging ministry with limited volunteers. Because when we first got in here, people weren't jumping to get back in. Maybe showing up, but maybe not serving. It was, it's complex stuff, right? Because of COVID and all the sensitivities there. Uh, we also had to maintain hybrid Zoom and in-person ministry models. So a little bit in person, a little bit on Zoom. We had to, we had to offer both because of all the, the variances for folks out there who were still wrestling with what going to church in a new way looked like. We also experienced a changing congregation, seeing familiar faces whom I had walked with for many years and shared many life experiences and milestones transition away. All the while seeing new individuals and families arrive. We also navigated tumultuous and divided times. We're still in them, but uh, we had to navigate them, particularly over the last couple of years, with reduced face time to be near one another while facing what I called existential questions or existential threats related to things like, do I have a job? Do my, can my kids go back to school? Losing a family member, just complicated stuff, right? We also had to see parents and adults adjust to learn and work from home. We also experienced racial unrest, demonstrations and riots, masking or not masking, political tumult, vaccinations, 
family divisions, what church should, should be doing or not doing, fielding frustration, anger, even accusations. The sanctuary is too conservative. It's too liberal. The leadership has sold out. They aren't being strong enough. Trust me, I heard it all. <laughs> Sometimes I read it all. Long emails I'd get from people. I'm like, whoa, that's hard stuff. Am I depressing you? Okay. You're probably wondering, like, why the heck did Pastor Marty ask this guy to share? Because this is like a, like a total downer, right? Okay. I don't mean to, to bring you down. Trust me, uh, this morning will end well. But my point in sharing all of this is that with all the ups and downs, the effort, the toil, even the victories and celebrations, through it all, we aren't always well. We aren't always well. And a little over four months ago, having gone through the list I just mentioned, and frankly more, I spared you, we probably could have sat down for an hour and I could have really given you an, ex an extensive list, I've spared you that. But having gone through that, I found myself struggling with concentration, a foggy mind, moments of tasking paralysis, low-grade depression, and prolonged tiredness that was physical, emotional, and even spiritual. And then it all came to a head. While responding to my growth group partners, and for those of you who are not aware what growth groups are, it's, it's a model, it's a small group model that we've adopted here at the church where we get together with people the same gender to share about life, but also to hold each other accountable and help each other be the best versions of who we could be by virtue of that support that we receive from somebody else. Well, I was meeting with my growth group and I was responding to their question of, how are you doing? And while I was seated at Bodie Leaf Coffee, just down the street from here, I experienced a first. And maybe you say, well, I've experienced that too, but it was a first for me. Right there in the middle of that coffee shop, I had an anxiety attack. And I remember sitting there and, and the shortness of breath, the cloudiness, the overwhelming overwhelm, just this whole sense of like, whoa, what's going on? my own body was keeping score and basically letting me know like, hey, things aren't okay. And as you can imagine, it was a bit alarming, but it was also humbling. And even though, church, I don't ascribe to these notions, I have felt and feel the weight of the belief that pastors are expected to have the right answers, the right perspectives, the right responses, the right posture, the right words. And when the world has gone mad, pastors are expected to rise above it all. They have to have it all together, keep it together, if they're going to represent God. Pastors are the peaceful ones who people look to in unsettling times, right? And, and frankly, I get it. I get it. But it's complicated. And after an elongated season, weathering storm after storm, it was time for me to wave the flag of my own surrender. And I'll be honest with you, I can advocate for a lot of people and I do. I'm one of these people that I love bridge building. I want to reach the world and I want to uh, reach people around me. But I'm not always a good advocate for myself. And with the counsel of my growth group, I committed to sharing all of this with my own personal counselor, but also Pastor Marty. And I can tell you, being blessed to be surrounded by people who deeply care about me, after some processing, it was decided that it would be good for me to take a sabbatical a little bit of time away to allow my heart, mind, and body some adequate rest and care. And I would say, congregation, analogously speaking, I would describe it like this. In cutting through some very challenging waters, barnacle, barnacles had accumulated on the boat of my life. 
and had begun to tangibly impede my ability to go forward in my function and call. And I could have, I could have just pushed through to my own demise, but I chose to pursue health. And to get better, I needed to take the boat out of the water to scrape off those barnacles. And that process involved very, very purposed action on my part. I met with a trusted counselor each week, and I also participated in an eight-week grief recovery class, which was fantastic. In fact, if I can go on record saying this, I'm gonna, I hate it when people are dogmatic. In fact, I'm not a big fan of dogmatic uh, statements, but I will say this dogmatically. If you are a human that's breathing, you should take grief recovery. Um, we're taught how to acquire things in life. We're not taught how to lose them. And oftentimes we navigate our way through life and when we experience loss, it just accumulates. It's the barnacles that, and we, we have to scrape those barnacles off. We all experience loss. And in particular, the last couple of years, we've experienced a lot of loss. And so I would submit that to you dogmatically. You should take grief recovery. And uh, it just so happens that January 11th of this year, we're going to be doing another round of grief recovery here at the church. And if I can exhort you to do something, wave the flag for yourself, advocate for yourself, would you consider taking that class? Take notice of when that comes through. And if I can brag for just a little moment here, um, I'm so very thankful for Gina Thompson, who's here. She oversees that functionality for our church, and she um, was so gracious with me. She, was, she knew I was on a sabbatical, and frankly, two-thirds of the people in the class weren't from our church, but she said, hey, come be a part of it. I'll make sure you still have a safe place where you can be really raw and vulnerable, and she did just that, and she facilitated it so beautifully. So she's a hero in my book, uh, but I would encourage you, consider that, consider that. And it was during this time of deep processing congregation that I began hearing God's voice speaking to me in a distinct manner and to a distinct path. He was beckoning me, and that's a really strong word, beckon. He was beckoning me to delight in him and to discover a deeper understanding of what it means to be his delight. And that is what I want to share with you this morning, the significance of delight. As we dive in, I'd like to invite the Lord to be at the center of our conversation because frankly, at the end of the day, I don't want you to remember what I'm saying. I want you to remember what he might be saying to you. So let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful that I get to share with our church family, my church family. And Lord, being a, a family means, hopefully, and, and I believe this to be true of this church, the sanctuary, a safe place to grow, that we can be vulnerable. We can be authentic. And we can bring it all to you, but also bring it together, bring it, put it on the table together to, to dissect it and, and, and just be real. And frankly, when I read your word, you say you came to reach those who knew they needed a physician, not those who thought they were already good enough. So Lord, I come before you this morning, representative of our church, but I also, I would pray this prayer, maybe for someone in the room here, that Lord, we come in our authenticity and we lay it at your feet, recognizing that we need you, our physician. We can't do it on our own. So Lord, would you speak to us today? I pray in your precious name, amen. 
On just a housekeeping matter, just in case you're sitting there and you're, you're pulling up the church app and you're saying, hey, I want to take some notes. Um, because of the nature of what I'm sharing this morning, uh, I don't have fill-ins for you. I have uh, large snapshots of what I'm sharing so that you don't have to like write stuff down if something catches your eye. There is a little section that you can write in your own personal notes uh, and then you can, you can save that and, and send that to yourself later on if that's your choosing. But worthy of note, our sanctuary guest uh, Wi-Fi is currently down right now, so you're going to have to utilize the cell signal that you have with your provider, and I realize we're kind of in this little spot here where cell signal might be a little rough. We're looking to get that rectified. We recognized that very early this morning and reached out to those who administrate our network, and we're looking to see if we can get that resolved, but I did want to make mention of that so that if you're sitting there and you're going, it's not working, you know, technology is a love-hate relationship. Uh, you may hate it right now, but hopefully that explanation will help you not hate it as much, so... Would you open your Bible to Psalm 37 and to a very well-known and quoted verse? Verse 4. This particularly is a verse that happens to be one of my favorite verses of all time. In fact, on the inside of my wedding ring, it says a portion of this scripture because it was something that my wife and I used uh, at our wedding. It was in the, on the, in the wedding program. It's something that's very close to my heart, but uh, I believe in, there's a fresh word that is involved in all of this this morning, but Let's read this together. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, at first glance, you might think, you know, it's a pretty simple verse, pretty self-explanatory. It even kind of looks like a kind of a genie in a bottle sort of thing, you know? Do this, and God will do this. But the thing is, as you dig deeper into it, there are some amazing insights and nuances worth clarifying and understanding. First off, this verse is what's called an imperative statement, a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, you might want to consider it. It's, it's literally a command. And as such, we should take notice. If I can throw this out to you, anytime you see in the Bible something that's in, in a command form, you should take notice in a more particular fashion because there's, there's an emphasis to it. When you consider the original language of this portion of Scripture, and our English text that you have in the Bible right now is translated from Hebrew. The verb translated take delight is related to the Hebrew word aneg, a noun that means exquisite delicacy. Now in today's culture, uh, Jewish culture I should say, it refers to a party or festive meal celebrated during Shabbat or on other special occasions such as a holiday or a bar mitzvah. But in studying this passage, I love the way one scholar put it. The first part of the verse commands us to celebrate the presence of the Lord as we might ooh and ah over the choicest of foods sumptuously spread out over a beautiful table in the presence of our closest friends during a special occasion. It's meant to be something pretty spectacular. But I'll be frank with you, it doesn't seem like a practical or realistic take on everyday real life with God. So when you say take delight in the Lord and it talks about something, a delicacy and all these things, you know, I think like food, it's easy to reduce our relationship with God to a functional reality. And it, it goes something like this. I eat because I need to fuel. And the imagery that I would give you is, it's like that break or lunchroom you have at your office or workplace, right? Those are some of the most drab environments in, on the planet, right? Some crusty, like, microwave. You go into the refrigerator and there's food that's probably been there way too long. Maybe someone has a post-it on it, like, don't touch this. Or the coffee's, like, burning there. You know, you got HR posters, maybe. A really uncomfortable avocado green, like, table that should have been, like, changed out, like, years ago. Like, just, it's super practical, right? It's like, you go there to eat, if you so choose, right? 
It's just practical. And I think sometimes our relationship with God can be like that. It's like, you know, you got to eat because you got to fuel. And we can sometimes approach our relationship with God in that way. It's like, you know, it's it, the way I would almost say, say it would be almost like this. Spending time with God is the right thing to do, right? It's the right thing to do. You got to eat. But the thing is, God isn't a thing. He is a who that wants deep relationship with you and with me, one that is marked by celebration. And when I read the Hebrew definition of delight involving celebrating special moments and occasions and enjoying delicacies in the presence of close friendship, I am reminded of an occasion with a dear lifelong friend where I had the opportunity to go to Barcelona, Spain, and I had the most amazing and most memorable meals of my life. And while we were there, our stomachs were not only filled, but our hearts were, even just at this meal. And as a thank you to uh, having been taken on this amazing trip, I happened to film the adventure. And this was prior to iPhones, you know, a little cheesy digital camera. Uh, so I'm going to show you a clip. But bear in mind, you know, I don't have any barf bags in front of you, so there's a little, there's a little bit of motion to it. Uh, bear with my, my amateur skills here, but this will give you a sense of what it means to not only take in delicacies, but to celebrate friendship. Check out this video. What do you think of this so far? Fantastic. Look at that. Incredible, no? It's delicious, huh? Yeah, it does. Let's eat. Let's go for this. Amazing food. It's just freaking me out. These guys anticipate. These guys anticipate all your needs, man. Now that section there where we were laughing, you know, have you ever gotten together with friends and you have such a good time, like you literally have that kind of full-bellied laugh. You're just laughed, laughing and laughing and laughing. It was just we. Part of that was this particular restaurant. They just kept bringing out food. It was out of control. Like, it was out of control. We were laughing so hard because, like, oh, my gosh, I could hardly, like, finish eating something they were putting else in front of us. And it was just, just so funny and so rich. But it was so fun. And, you know, it's, it said laughter is good medicine. I'm telling you, that was such good medicine, not just the food. It, 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 yes, the food was delightful, but it, what was more delightful was the friendship and just the joy that was there. And frankly, congregation, I think that's, that's what delight looks like. I think that God wants us to delight in him with this kind of joy where we are intentionally all in, check, not checking a box functional-wise, but checking in, fully present, celebrating him emotionally, mentally, relationally, and spiritually, where there's just a delight, just taking it in. But here's the hard part. 
If you're like me, delight is the furthest, furthest thing from what I feel like doing when life isn't delightful. On my sabbatical, with my heart in a very hard place, I had to discover delight, congregation. I had to discover delight in a fresh and new way. And it began with asking what brings me delight and then just starting. And for me, I don't know what your version is, I love to go to the beach. I want to stick my feet in the sand. There's something just very therapeutic about it. But it, it involved going to the beach. In fact, you know, on average in a summertime, I will maybe go to the beach three times. During this, this last summer, I went to the beach probably 23 times. Because part of it was, I just needed to break out from the normal, stick my feet in the sand, but here was the thing. I needed to go to the beach and be with God. Put my feet in the sand, put on my favorite worship music, take in his word, and just start talking to him. And then talking to him led to crying with him. And then crying with him led to laughing with him. And I want you to notice the, the word that I used, with him, with him with him, not for him, not to him. I'm telling you as a pastor, I do a lot for him. I do a lot to honor him, but there, it cannot replace being with him, with him. And here's the great part. When we celebrate the Lord as our chief delight, he will give us the desires of our heart. And the word translated desire, desires, mishalat, comes from the Hebrew word sha'al, which means to ask or request something. A she'elah is a question you might ask a teacher. And I want you to see this next paragraph of, uh, of, that I'm about to share with you because I think it's worth taking in, so we're putting it on the screen. The deepest needs, desires, and questions of our hearts are all bound up in the life and love of God. Whatever else we might think we desire, God knows that what we truly need is love and delight within us. When our affections are centered upon the Lord and we delight in him, the deepest yearnings of our heart will be fulfilled by his personal love and grace for us. You see, even when life is not delightful, when the question of our hearts overwhelm us, and frankly, I went on sabbatical, I had a lot of questions for God. A lot of questions for God. One of them was, why are people so dang mean? Honestly. What's wrong with people? And I, I was hurt. I was angry. And I love our church. I love what I'm called to do, like I said earlier. But I was not okay. But when the questions of our hearts overwhelm us, we are commanded to delight in the Lord because he is the answer to our heart's questions and condition. If you've got questions, he's got answers. And I believe it's worth noting, and, and frankly, this is my opinion, but I would submit the counterfeit of delight is diversion. In fact, uh, in Spanish, the word for, for fun is, is diversiones or divertido. It literally uses the word diversion as kind of its core word. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Latin America, so I speak Spanish, but a lot of times certain Spanish words come to my mind. When life isn't delightful, when my heart hurts, I'd rather divert and jump into diversions. And here's the crazy part. Diversion can seem like, look like delight. The proof that it isn't is in the result. Diversions postpone, medicate, and subvert matters of the heart. Delight engages the heart and invites God to be at the center. Now, if you love to binge on Netflix or certain things, it's not all toxic. 
But the question is, why are you doing it? (laughs) You could be subverting some of the questions of your heart, the stuff that God wants to meet you at and provide your answers to. With that invitation, that access, he can begin to answer the questions that our hearts truly need. And he doesn't stop there. And this is what I love. He leads us. Jump down further in Psalm 37 to verses 23 and 24. I love this. We are not the only ones delighting. Verses 23 and 24 read like this. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall for the Lord holds them by the hand. David, uh, who wrote the Psalms, proclaims that God orders or directs even the individual steps of each one of us and God takes delight. He takes pleasure in and is pleased by the details of our lives. Let that sink in. He delights in you. The term translated as directs is from a Hebrew verb that can also mean to guide, lead, or make reliable. In other words, the person who has committed his way to God will have his steps made sure by God. He will guard them and ensure that their steps are solid. How encouraging it is to know that even our small, seemingly inconsequential steps are not too insignificant for God. He cares. On top of that, he loves and cares for us so much that he actually delights, takes pleasure in, is pleased with, and desires to guide our steps. And he even does so by staying close. Because here's the thing. When we fall, we won't fall to destruction because the Lord holds our hand. And I think it's incredible, church, to know that God is right here, ready to establish our walk if, and that's a big if, if we will simply commit our walk to him. And even more incredible is that he delights in doing that. To think that God the almighty creator takes pleasure in walking with each of his people in that way, frankly, is just so profound to me. If, and that's another if, if we have the eyes and hearts to receive it. I have another paragraph I'd love to throw up on the screen here for you. And by the way, this is all in your church notes. And I'd like to read this to you. Even a simple observation that the steps of man are ordered by the Lord represents an amazing truth that we matter to God. When we are encountering encountering hardship or difficulty or if we simply feel alone or question whether people care about our well-being, we can have confidence in knowing that he loves us and wants to walk with us and guide us through those difficulties we face. Earlier, I shared how I found myself in a significant deficit earlier this year. Frankly, I was depleted to my core And the last thing I thought I I had energy for was delight. Honestly, delight was not something that was like, oh yeah, let's just delight. You know, I get this image in my head of someone like prancing around, you know, with, you know, with disregard to what's going on around them. And that's not what delight is, but that's what my heart felt like it was. And the reason why it was the last thing I thought I wanted to do was because it seemed like another task, another thing to do. But in that place, God met me, calling me freshly to a relationship with him. A relationship where I can take all the questions of my heart, my sadness, my disappointment, my exhaustion. And I could take that to him because he had and he has all the answers I need. 
He has the direction I want. And yes, going forward, this is the hard part, I am going to stumble. But I won't fall because he has my hand. He has my hand. I'm going to invite the worship team uh, backstage to come on out and prepare to lead us in a time of worship. Um, And frankly, if I could reframe the word uh, worship time to you, is it's a time for delight. You get to practice delight this morning. And for some of you, it's just going to be a choice because you're not going to feel very delightful. But you get to stretch those muscles a little bit. Maybe do what I did. I wasn't feeling it, but I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. If you're saying do it, I'm going to do it. And I'd like to close this morning by sharing the words of a Christian author, uh, Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan Manning um, is a a fantastic uh, writer who's no longer alive. Frankly, we had him out to the church a number of years ago uh, who wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it's an amazing book. He also wrote several other books. I would encourage you, check out Brennan Manning. Wow, that is some powerful stuff. But particularly, Brennan Manning had this to say. He once described the tendency of people... uh, to profess or champion what they haven't experienced themselves when he cautioned people from being, listen to this, travel agents handing out brochures to places they've never visited. I think sometimes we can do that. I'll own it. As a pastor, sometimes you can know something factually true, but not experientially true. And Ultimately, maybe there isn't something completely wrong to that, but there, there can be a problem that we simply, as was put by this offer, if we end up being travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never visited, there's a problem because we can't say with strength, with authority, I've been there, I've experienced that. Let me tell you, this is worth doing. But here's the amazing thing, congregation. I believe I can invite you to a place that I have visited. Or better put, I believe I can introduce you to someone who I've been with in maybe a fresh way. And that is the God of the universe that is crazy about you. He's crazy about me. And he doesn't want our lives to be overrun by barnacles. I don't know where you are today. You may be listening to what I've shared and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing okay. Maybe you have had anxiety attacks. Maybe you've been the recipient of a lot of disappointment, a lot of loss, a lot of pain, a lot of injury. You might be depleted. Frankly, you might have a lot of unanswered questions to your own heart. You may be here and you're like, okay, I love God, but I need his direction. The direction that is spoken of where God says he'll direct your steps. Maybe you're in the midst of of processing a major decision. And you're saying, I don't want to do this on my own here's a beautiful thing. You don't have to. He wants to direct your steps. He wants to meet you right where you're at. And he doesn't not only want to give you what you truly need, he wants to get you to where you need to be. But I will say this to you, congregation. I submit this to you based on where I've been and where I'm inviting you to go, that that's going to happen through delight. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. You are a faithful God. And I'm so thankful that you met me in a, in a dark time, in a dark place. And I'm so thankful over the course of that 
time where you uh, beckoned me to delight in you and to experience your delight that you begin to renew me, restore me. I'm so thankful that I can stand here in front of my church family, the, the place that I call home, and I can truly say, my heart is better. But with every wake, every day that comes, uh, and I experience a day that hasn't been promised to me, I, I get yet another opportunity or chance to decide whether or not I'm going to choose delight or not. And Lord, I don't want to be a person, like your word says, that looks into your word as if looking into a mirror and then forget my own reflection when I walk away. I want to take note of my condition and I want to be reminded of your truth. And so this morning, we want to respond to your truth. Would you lead us into a life of delight? But as we delight ourselves in you and you answer the questions of our heart, that we would also bask in the, the beauty of being delighted in. And that's the way you see us. So Lord, I surrender this time to you. Lord, would you cover our congregation? Would you lead us in these days. Amen.